Hello, this is Mary welcoming you to the 2372nd edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper, dateline 18th of January 2024. The readers this week are Sarah, Joel and Mary, with Bill and Karis on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon and Harry Brewer. It is performed by Jean-Jacques Perret and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. For the week beginning, 22nd of January, the sunrise time is 07.52 and the sunset time 16.31. We also have some special notices from Enfield Vision and Enfield Home Library Service. Vision is a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bush Hill Park, Enfield. Our exercise classes are now running again. Here are the dates for the next couple of months. Thursday the 15th of February 2024, Thursday the 21st of March 2024. Do you know that Enfield has a home library service? This means that if mobility, disability or caring responsibilities make it difficult for you to visit the library, then we can bring the library to you and there is no charge. The Home Library is run in conjunction with the Royal Voluntary Service who vet and manage our volunteers. You tell us the sort of thing you like to read and we will select books for you and deliver them to your home once every four weeks. As well as ordinary print titles, we have audiobooks on CDs and large print titles. There are also a limited number available in different languages. Separately, the Enfield Home Library Service offers assistance with digital library content, so we can help you get to grips with borrowing e-books or audiobooks from the library to read or listen to on a phone or tablet. For more information or to see if you can sign up for this service, email enfield.hls at royalvoluntaryservice.org.uk or call Shauna Tevan on 07826511094. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 07899854582. That's 07899854582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Sarah will read the lead story. This is from Enfield Dispatch, dated the 16th of January 2024 with the headline, Senior Labour Councillors Slam Disgraceful Government Funding in Response to Financial Pressures. Councillors quizzed over budget pressures, rising debts and overspending on temporary houses at Enfield Civic Centre. 
Senior Labour councillors have defended the council's financial position after a report highlighted significant budget pressures and overspending. At an overview and scrutiny committee meeting on Monday the 15th, councillors discussed the report which revealed that Enfield Council is forecasted to overspend its budget by £29 million this year but also that the 2024-25 to budget has been provisionally balanced. Conservative committee member Michael Rye acknowledged the challenging financial environment the council operated in, but questioned the council's excessive borrowing and whether they were trying hard enough to make savings. He advised them to look more at outsourcing services, which he said would reduce cost. Councillor Rye also critiqued the London's 2018 decision, the Council's 2018 decision to manage the Meridian Water Project, a scheme, a scheme set to deliver 10,000 homes in-house. But Deputy Council Leader Ergin Erbil said he believed insourcing was good practice and where local authorities had adequate funding, more services should be insourced. Councillor Erbil said... We believe that when you insource, you prioritise your staff, you prioritise health and safety over profit, and when you're a member of a landlord association, you're going to prioritise profit. Tim Lever, Cabinet Member for Finance and Procurement, also clarified it wasn't the Council's intention to stop insourcing, but added that there may be an opportunity to review it in terms of best value. Regarding spending on key services, Councillor Erbil and Councillor Lever said it was reasonable given the economic climate and the government's cutting of local authority budgets. Councillor Erbil said, We are in debt to invest in our borough. The debt that we do have goes towards maintaining key services, delivering decent homes, decarbonising our council buildings and investing in our parks and green spaces. The majority of our debts are locked in at low interest rates, and if the government hadn't skyrocketed, right, sorry, and if the government hadn't skyrocketed interest rate levels, then councils across the country would have been in better financial positions. Labour committee member Margaret Greer questioned whether the borough was underfunded by the government, considering its size, and whether this was because Enfield was an outer borough rather than inner London borough. Council Erber confirmed that they were seen this way, saying, I think it's a disgrace the government settlement only provided 8% of our overall budget. We're the second worst funded local authority across London and seventh worst in the country, according to recent studies. And this has been the situation over the past 14 years. Conservative committee member James Hockney asked about the impact of cutting the council tax support scheme, known as the CTS scheme which helps the borough's poorest households. A cut to the scheme was announced last summer, amounting to £8.8 million in savings for council coffers. In response, Councillor Erbil said the CTS schemes, due to budget pressures caused by inflation, were having to be brought in line with the London average. He said, our new scheme will give a, still give a discount on the council tax bill for around one-third of the borough's households. It's still a very strong scheme. Conservative Committee member Maria Alexandru asked what the Council was doing to reduce the number of homeless households being put in hotel accommodation, currently said to be 300 families. 
Soaring spending on temporary accommodation for homeless families has seen the biggest contributor to unsustainable overspending, slashing the council's risk reserve by around 77 million, to leave only 41 million remaining for future overspends. Joanne Drew, the council's strategic director of housing and regeneration, confirmed this and said, the major variance in the budget is the cost of hotel accommodation. We're now running 750,000 per month for hotel accommodation. It has been higher, but we're working on procuring cheaper accommodation. Due to the high demand for housing, it would be difficult to reduce costs, but reassured the committee that rehousing residents was a priority. Councillor Erbil closed the meeting by saying the council was set with an impossible task, trying to balance its budget with a 39.4 million gap identified at the start of the process. But councillors were pleased to hear the budget was now provisionally balanced, and Councillor Erbil confirmed the council would continue to lobby for better government funding in future. And now for some sports news. Rugby, fitting tribute as club remembers stalwart. An emotional day at Enfield Ignatians. A bumper crowd paid a fitting tribute to the late Lucas Yoxall following the untimely death of the Enfield Ignatians first team stalwart at their match with Hitchin on Saturday, writes John Landy. The enormity of the occasion outweighed the 24-10 defeat after the spirited Ignatians, spurred on by the spirit of the young flanker, flew out of the blocks and played some of their best rugby of the season. The better of the two teams in the first half, Ignatians, caught the mood perfectly, cussed and abrasive in the forward exchanges and their passing for the main fluid and crisp they surfed on the tide of emotion and a multi-phased attack, finished off by the pack saw Shea Adiosum open the scoring. However, Hitchin responded and despite having Matt Georgiou sinbin for not retreating 10 metres, Ignatians continued to defend doggedly in a protracted spell close to their own line before the visitors inevitably claimed the equalising score. Again, very easy on the eye was a credit to both teams and Ignatians roared back. Despite a misfiring line-out and the final pass eluding them at times, they continued to attack at every opportunity and were rewarded with a gem of a try signed off by acting captain Ewan Rennie. The catalyst for the score was man of the match Tom McDougall, who, when looking odds on to be corralled by an advancing defence, gave the Hitchin cover the runaround with some nifty footwork before releasing an outrageous backflip scoring pass. The 10-5 half-time lead was no less than Ignatians deserved, but it was not enough. They did get into some good positions, only to be haunted again by their travails at the line-out, and when Hadi Fayaz was yellow-carded for lifting a player beyond the, hori- beyond the hor- horizontal, Hitchin capitalised on the extra man to level once more. The second half belonged to Hitchin, and with Ignatians running out of puff in the final quarter, the visitors claimed two further tries, one of which came from turnover ball to emerge deserving winners. Head coach Jack Wilson said, There wasn't a dry eye among the players before the game, and we were grateful for the visit to the changing rooms by Lucas's parents, Mark and Shirley, and the encouragement they provided. We tapped into the raw emotion and did it for Lucas. We stayed in the fight for 60 minutes before running out of steam in the final quarter. However, today was about far more than the bare result and was very much an occasion for the rugby family to come together. The scenes will linger long in the memory, enchanced by the presence by a large contingent of Lucas's relatives and family friends 
and namely the minute silence, the laying of the player's shirt onto the centre circle and the symbolic release of doves. Concerns raised after nearly 3,000 council fly-tipping fines left unpaid. Conservative councillor Maria Alexandru says the council's approach to fly-tipping isn't good enough. An opposition councillor claims Enfield Council's approach to fly-tipping isn't good enough after a report revealed nearly 3,000 fines have gone unpaid. Conservative councillor Maria Alexandru, who represents Winchmore Hill Ward, highlighted the 2,819 outstanding fines for fly-tipping between April 2023 and November 2023, as reported by the council. When the issue was brought up at an environment forum meeting last week, Councillor Alexandru said the council boasted that 6,564 fines had been issued during the period, but the Tory councillor told them it wasn't very good if they weren't collecting them. Councillor Alexandru said, despite the warning and final notice letters fly-tippers were receiving, she felt fines were being written off too often. She said that means less money for the council, and if you're not collecting fines, how is that a deterrent? Councillor Alexandru also mentioned the government's Antisocial Behaviour Action Plan for 2023 and how it proposed increasing fines for fly-tipping from £400 to £1,000, but felt the council needed to give more reassurances over how it could enforce the change. If people can't afford it, they're not going to pay it. If they're not paying the £400 now, how are they going to pay the £1,000? To help tackle the issue, Councillor Alexandru would like to see more environmental enforcement officers hired to help collect outstanding fly-tipping fines, as well as installing more CCTV cameras. The Council installed CCTV at 29 hotspot locations for fly-tipping last year, but the Labour administration pledged to install 200 in its 2022 manifesto. Councillor Alexandru also doubts the Council can achieve its recycling target for households next year. Following an increase from 30.9% in 2021-22 to 34.2% in 2022-23, the Council has set a target of 44% for 2023-24. But Councillor Alexandru said, I don't know how they're going to reach that without bringing back weekly recycling collections. That's what they should do. The council moved to fortnightly bin collections back in 2020. The average household recycling rate for England is 44%, but the London average is far lower at around 33%. Even so... Some London boroughs, such as Bromley and Ealing, boast recycling rates as high as 49% and 48% respectively. Enfield Council did not respond to a request for comment. A new operator has taken over Enfield Council's leisure centres. Greenwich Leisures Limited, GLL, a social enterprise, was handed the keys to Albany, Edmonton, Southbury, Southgate and Arnos Pool Leisure Centres 
after a contract with the previous operator, Fusion Lifestyle, ended last month. The council announced it would be terminating its contract with Fusion early after a report highlighted a significant number of maintenance faults. Fusion had been running the council's leisure facilities since 2010. GLL will be operating Enfield's leisure centres under its recognised brand name, Better. Cabinet member Chinello Aniemwu said, I'm delighted to welcome Better to Enfield so we can jointly work together on the recovery and transformation of our leisure centres. Peter Bundley, CEO of GLL, said, We are looking forward to start this exciting new partnership with Enfield Council to operate their leisure facilities. The council claims it cannot say how much money was handed to Fusion to terminate the contract because the information is confidential. Council wins £532,000 lottery funding for Brimfield House project. First stage funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund will allow Enfield Council to develop detailed plans for memorialising the historic house in Palmer's Green. Enfield's Council plans to memorialise Brimfield's house and upgrade other areas of Brimfield Park have won first stage lottery funding of more than half a million pounds. The award from the National Lottery Heritage Fund for the Unlocking Brimfield Park for the Community project means the council can now develop detailed plans. It was announced in September 2022 that the council was submitting a bid for lottery money after several other attempts to repair and restore the burnt-out shell of Brimfield House failed to attract the money needed. Now deemed to be beyond repair, the historic house will instead be demolished and memorialised, while other improvements will help reinvigorate Brimfield Park in Palmer's Green, including landscaping and a restoration of the park's unique Baroque water garden. The project development funding of £532,490 will allow the council to progress its plans to apply for a full national lottery grant of £3,672,231 at a later date. Brimfield House dates back to the 16th century and was originally owned by John Brimfield, a leather merchant. The house has been used for various purposes over the centuries, but remained derelict following a series of fires in 1984, 1993, 1994 and 2019. The building is now surrounded by scaffolding with more than 80% of the historic fabric lost. Elements of its interior were saved and are currently in storage. The lottery project has been developed by the council in collaboration with the Friends of Brimfield Park, Brimfield House Trust, the Enfield Society, Southgate District Civic Voice and councillors who helped steer and shape the application. Janello Anyanwu, the council's cabinet member for open spaces, culture and local economy, said, Enfield Council is committed to nurturing our arts, heritage and creative sectors to connect people through culture. During the development phase of this project, the council will work with the local community to produce a shared vision for the memorialisation of Brimfield House and its integration back into the historic park. For too many years, the shell of the house has stood with little purpose and no connection to the people who use the park. This project will finally address the issue of the house and reinvigorate the area while acknowledging its importance to the people of Enfield. Local people will be encouraged to get involved in a range of activities, including heritage and nature-themed health and wellbeing schemes, a community archaeology dig, 
a mural hoardings project and engagement with young people in decisions about the park. Stuart McLeod from the National Lottery Heritage Fund said, We believe that investing in heritage means investing in the community it belongs to. It has the power to make our communities better places to live, bringing a sense of pride and place, and this project in Enfield is no exception. It will not only see the Grade 2 listed park brought back to life, but also engage with its community in new ways. We look forward to working with the team to progress their plans to apply for a full grant at a later date. Colin Younger, a chair of Brimfield House Trust, which has been fighting to save the building, told the dispatch, It is very good news. It will break a logjam we have been stuck with for many years. We are sad it has not been possible to restore or renovate the house, but that was clearly not going to be fundable. For more information on the Brimfield House project, visit enfield.gov.uk forward slash services forward slash planning forward slash Brimfield dash house. Brightening up the borough. Work to brighten up the borough has begun in earnest, with stunning new street murals being unveiled in Enfield Town and Palmer's Green. The Curate Enfield project is being led by Enfield Council and is funded by a £30,000 grant from Arts Council England via the National Lottery. The money is being used by the council to commission artworks or a series of artworks in five town centres around the borough, with ideas and inspiration being taken from local people. The first two of these five projects were completed in November. In Palmer's Green, a new art trail has been created by the Matchbox Collective. It features a series of vibrant, eye-catching murals inspired by the cultural diversity, local nature and biodiversity of Palmer's Green. Young people and community leaders were mentored and supported to develop the art trail and they selected the Matchbox Collective to deliver the project to help link the town centre with Broomfield Park. Local groups, including Broomfield Park Community Orchard, Philanthropy CIC, Ruth Winston Community Centre and students from Laurel Park School all helped contribute ideas. An illustrated map has even been produced to promote the new arts trail. In Enfield Town, a very dark alleyway has been brightened with a colourful series of murals inspired by market traders. Leading from Cecil Road to Palace Gardens and Palace Exchange shopping centres, the footpath was chosen because of its dreariness, but also its importance for generating high footfall for local shops, acting as a bridge between the past and present of Enfield Town. Art students from Enfield County School were on hand to help with some of the spray painting last month, while lead artist Anna Niccolo watched on. Anna told the dispatch, the main reason this area was chosen was to brighten up this very dark alleyway. It's surprisingly busy, but it was just a brick wall. The concept of the design is about celebrating Enfield Town, its history, its people and its heritage. One of the main explorations is Enfield's history as a market town going back 700 years. It is inspired by the market stalls. The main mural works as a carousel, featuring in the foreground a parade of bold silhouettes of people carrying shopping bags. 
while in the background, illustrations portraying historical buildings, stories and events from the area celebrate all things Enfield. A public survey and workshops at Enfield Town Library helped inform some of the themes for the artwork, with local people invited to contribute ideas. Anna said, We got lots of stories from community engagement at the public library and doing questionnaires. I came up with the concept, but the themes are from the community. Other Curate Enfield projects now in progress include a portrait of Southgate, where three artworks are set to be delivered in Ashfield Parade, the green area beside Southgate Station and along the pavement of Chaseside. In Angel Edmonton, artist Raphael Klein has also been selected to create a sculptural work outside Silver Street Station, which will create a sense of welcome for residents and visitors as they arrive into the area. Informed by the town centre's traditional name of the Angel, the sculpture aims to and flight. A fifth project will be delivered in Edmonton Green. And there's some wonderful photos of these amazingly colourful and bright murals. A new approach to the street cleaning service has been rolled out across Enfield with a dedicated street sweeper in every ward. Residents will now see the same Enfield Council street cleansing operative with their familiar yellow hand barrows sweeping the streets on a regular basis. It is hoped the local street sweepers will become regular faces in the local community. The council successfully piloted the new local service delivery model scheme in Brimsdown and Enfield Lock wards over a period of three months and has received positive feedback. Last week, Enfield Council's Cabinet Member for Environment, Councillor Rick Jewell, met up with street cleansing operative Tony Smith in King Edwards Road in Brimsdown Ward to learn more about his working day and how he's finding his new assignment and environment. Mr Jewell said it was a pleasure to meet Tony and to find out more about how he is settling into his role and the challenges he faces. Residents are already noticing that Tony is their dedicated street sweeper and are stopping him and asking questions about his job and letting him know when they see incidents of litter and fly-tipping in the local community. We are committed to keeping the streets clean and by allocating a regular street cleansing operative in every ward and having a familiar and regular face on the job who maintains the cleanliness of the local area, this will make a real difference. Fallen leaves are cleared by these street cleansing operatives and are assisted by additional operatives who help to clear roads affected. In addition, they will pick up litter, remove overgrown weeds and report any large dumped items to the fly-tipping team for investigation and clearance. One of Tony's top tips was for residents to take advantage of the council's free bulky waste collection service. To request a doorstep collection, visit www.enfield.gov.uk forward slash services slash rubbish hyphen and hyphen cycling forward slash bulky hyphen rubbish. For further information on street cleansing, visit www.enfield.gov.uk 
forward slash services forward slash rubbish hyphen and hyphen recycling forward slash street hyphen cleansing. New banking hub to help residents access cash. Eastern Enfield will benefit from a new banking hub as a way to protect access to cash. The facility in Hartford Road will become the third of its kind launched in London by Link, the UK's cash access and ATM network. Banking hubs are a shared banking space, similar to traditional bank branch, but are available to everyone. The Enfield North consti- constituency area, which includes Enfield Highway, where many bank branches have closed down in recent years, was identified by Link as a place where cash is not easily available for local residents. Enfield North MP Furyal Clark has long called for better access to cash along Hartford Road following the closure in 2021 of a Barclays branch in Enfield Wash and Santander branch in Enfield Highway, which she said entrenched socio-economic divides. The new banking hub in Hartford Road will consist of a counter service operated by post office employees where customers of any bank can withdraw and deposit cash make bill payments and carry out regular banking transactions. In addition, there will be private spaces where customers can speak to community bankers from their own bank, with staff from different banks working in rotation. Fayel Clark said, In recent years, several bank branches have closed their doors for good, leaving many of my residents with no access to a bank. That's why the news that a banking hub has been granted for our community is so important. This will provide residents and local businesses with access and support to manage their money without having to travel for miles. The banking hub will be delivered by Cash Access UK. It is now engaging with the local community and looking for potential sites with a hope to open the hub in the next few months. Popular snowdrop sale returns to Middleton House Gardens. The Bulls Cross venue is hosting its famous seasonal sale of snowdrop bulbs at the end of January. The ultimate snowdrop sale is poised to return to Middle House Gardens later this month. The annual seasonal sale takes place at the Bulls Cross Historic House and Gardens on Saturday the 27th of January. The event offers visitors the opportunity to acquire an assortment of stunning and, in some instances, exceptionally rare varieties of galanthus bulbs. The snowdrop sale has become a focal point for horticulturalists, garden enthusiasts and snowdrop collectors, drawing attendees from near and far to Enfield. Snowdrops are heralded as one of the earliest harbingers of spring, their delicate bell-shaped winter flowers that bloom as early as January or February, defying the prevailing weather conditions. Snowdrop fanatics will collect different varieties of the plant, which can come in an array of different sizes, shapes, colours and even petal markings, with the rarest variants often fetching thousands of pounds at auction. Middleton gardener Gary Povey said, We look forward to welcoming visitors from across the country to our ultimate snowdrop sale. Whether you're a seasoned collector or a newcomer, there will be something to suit every budget and every garden, with prices starting from as little as £5. In addition to perusing and purchasing an array of snowdrops, visitors can explore the green flag award-winning gardens 
and marvel at the breathtaking carpets of snowdrops that adorn the eight-acre site. Additionally, the Bowles Tea Room will be open serving hot food and drink. Middleton House Gardens was the lifelong residence of Edward Augustus Bowles, a renowned self-taught gardener and avid snowdrop collector, and boasts a rich history. Bowles coined the term galanthophile to describe a snowdrop enthusiast. To honour him, a rare snowdrop discovered at the gardens was aptly named Galanthus plicatus, E.A. Bowles. The ultimate snowdrop sale takes place on Saturday the 27th of January from 10.30am to 12pm. Gates and tea rooms open at 7am at Middleton House Gardens, Bulls Cross Enfield, EN29HG. Entry is £5 per person. For more information, go to visit leevalley.org.uk forward slash Middleton. And that's spelt M-Y-D-D-E-L-T-O-N. Plans to provide step-free access at Palmer's Green Station have been submitted to Enfield Council. The proposals involved installing lifts and walkways to create an accessible route at the station in Alderman's Hill, which is described as being of central importance to the development of the suburb. It forms part of a Department for Transport programme to improve access for passengers with disabilities or restricted mobility. Joanne McCartney, London Assembly Member for Enfield and Haringvey, has previously raised concern over the length of time taken to begin the project, which was awarded funding by the Department of Transport in 2013. Work on the station is set to begin at the end of the year and be completed in mid-2024. The plans, drawn up by Network Rail, would provide 16-person lifts to each platform, which would be linked to the existing station building by two raised, covered walkways featuring resting places to meet the needs of disabled and older people. Care Home Rebuild Approved by Grace Howarth, Local Democracy Reporter. A care home is set to undergo major redevelopment which will see the current two-storey building replaced with a new 95-bed residence doubling its size. Applicant Gerard States Limited plans to replace Arnold House, located in the Ridgeway, with a new four-storey care home and two car parks. The proposal designed by DAP Architecture also features seven day lounges, seven quiet rooms, a cafe bistro, a games room, tea room, beauty salon, drawing room, study room and library and cinema. The site which has been vacant for two years does not include any listed buildings. However, Arnold House is classified as a non-designated heritage asset as a rare example of Edwardian architecture within this section of the Ridgeway. For this reason, heritage officers and the Victorian Society objected to the demolition. A spokesperson for the society said, This building is a rare survivor in the area and a good example of a large early 20th century house with many fine interior features. Complaints from local residents included fears of increased on-street parking and traffic and the new building being too high, too close to neighbours and having inadequate access. Planning committee meeting in late November, councillors voted to approve the application.
Enfield Town Go Close is the uh, headline here. Enfield Town boss Gavin McPherson was not impressed after their 2-0 home defeat to Folkestone in Victor. The visitors struck twice in the opening 24 minutes to take the Isthmian League Premier Division points and McPherson moaned, I don't like what I'm seeing at the moment. Our quality was poor and we'll have to put our finger on it very quickly. After a midweek trip to Horsham, town visit hashtag united on Saturday. And now an article written by Andrew Irvin, who founded the New Southgate Millennium Green Trust on how residents are helping this hidden space survive. In the southwest corner of Enfield Borough is a gem of local initiative and community. New Southgate Millennium Green is a small open space owned and entirely run by its own charity. Started at the turn of the millennium, it has been striding forward with a growing collection of interesting trees, community art projects and music events. A determined team of volunteers is working towards creating an arboretum worth the name and we never stop looking for new ways to connect with the community. At the New Southgate Millennium Green Trust, we are very grateful for the assistance of Enfield Council, most notably a decade of strong support each from local councillors Vivian Giladi and then Daniel Anderson, and which now continues through current New Southgate councillor Josh Abbey. However, all the team are clear that the buck stops with the volunteer trustees, and we strive to run the green as independently as possible. The Trust has always had a policy of working for the future, not just for the present. All our volunteers automatically get trained towards certificates. And the team has trained first aiders, qualified gardeners, and written proper health and safety policies, ensuring that newcomers feel they have a purpose, a goal, and belong to something substantial. For over a decade now, we have been supported by our business neighbour, construction firm Mulali, which is building a large site of flats and houses next door, and which has sponsored the Greens events, high-vis vests and insurance with plans for more. As founder of the Trust, I remain heavily involved and still walk around New Southgate Millennium Green every day. But we also have some younger trustees, such as Arthur Honour, who is taking control of the Trust. Explaining his vision, Arthur explains, As we own the land forever, it is no good muddling through in a volunteer's front room. We have pushed for an office space, a quality set of equipment, and established routines. We offer all our volunteers a meaningful reference once they have completed our certificate, a wide selection of worthwhile jobs to do, and a great place to do it. Our green is remarkably tranquil, pretty space, hidden in plain sight, and surrounded by urban traffic. We get lots of compliments from public, and the team is growing in numbers, with the members feeling more confident to take on roles, knowing they will be supported by experienced colleagues. Right now, the Trust is working on cutting the huge 300-metre hedge, treating all the timber, and installing a little free library in the new year. We've also been given a petrol mower that doesn't work, so if you could help with any of these big projects, please get in touch. You can meet our voluntary team at one of our sessions or one of our evening barbecues, bonfires on the first Saturday of every month. And remember, the green is open 24-7. 
So if you want to get involved with New Southgate Millennium Green Trust, you can phone 07786303440. That's 07786303440. Or email nsmg, full stop, trustees at gmail.com. That's NSMG in capital letters, full stop, trustees at gmail.com. A starving, abandoned puppy had a lucky escape when she was spotted by a maintenance worker abseiling down a block of flats. The emaciated five-month-old puppy was discovered abandoned and without any food in a flat strewn with rubbish and broken furniture by a man abseiling down a building. The dog was lucky to be found when, after a maintenance worker abseiling down the tower block, saw her through the window of a 12th-floor property in Stella House, Tottenham, on December the 22nd. He called RSPCA and Animal Rescue Officer Lee Ricketts attended the address to discover the property had been left empty. Police were called to gain access and free the dog, since named Chestnut. Mr Ricketts said a vet assessed the puppy and predicted that if she had been placed in the property at a healthy weight, she may not have eaten for around four weeks. The vet said that if she had been left even a few days longer, she would have likely starved to death. He added, We would like to appeal to the public for more information regarding what happened to this poor puppy before being found. If you can help with inquiries, please call 0300-123-8018, quoting incident number... 01196311 Tottenham twice fight back to deny United Tottenham twice pegged back Manchester United to deny Eric Ten Hag's men victory as Sir Jim Ratcliffe attended his first match since agreeing a partial takeover of the club The billionaire's agreement to buy a 25% stake and take control of football operations has brought some hope to a club that has fallen off the top of the English game under owners the Glazers. But it's a long way back and fans will continue to protest the Americans' involvement no matter how diminished, with Ratcliffe getting a first-hand look at the challenge he is taking on in Sunday's 2-2 draw with Spurs. The 71-year-old, who grew up supporting United, sat next to Sir Alex Ferguson in the director's box at Old Trafford and only had to wait three minutes to celebrate as summer signing Rasmus Holland hammered home. Richardson headed in an equaliser from a corner, his sixth goal in as many Premier League matches, but Marcus Rashford put the host back ahead in the 40th minute. Christian Romero rattled the United crossbar in stoppage time and 49 seconds into the second half, Rodrigo Bentaker slammed Spurs level, capitalising on some lax home defending. Ange Postacoglu's visitors looked most likely to win, but United avoided a 10th Premier League loss of the season in front of Ratcliffe and his Ineos team. Holong 20 thundered a left-footed drive into the roof of the net to open the scoring, but Spurs soon awoke from their slumber, and Johnny Evans had to be alert to stop a looping header from debutant Timo Werner causing problems. Diogo Dallet cleared Bentaker's header off the line, but Pedro Porro swung another corner in from the left, and Richelson showed strength to glance home. 
United kicked on towards the break and the pressure brought about a 40th minute goal as Rashford played a 1-2 with Holland and sent a low snapshot into the bottom corner. Romero launched himself to meet a corner and send a header crashing off the bar, but Postacoglu's side were not discouraged by that near miss and drew level moments into the second half. Werner held the ball up on the left and played across to Bentaker, who drove into the box, past Evans and continued to slam Spurs level. Richardson forced a low save out of Onana and Werner hooked over as the visitors looked most likely to score but they couldn't capitalise with new arrival Radu Dragusan introduced as the match wound down. The end of our programme for this this week, but please do stay tuned to listen to an archive episode from the 18th of September 1986. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of Sarah, Joel and Mary, with Bill and Karis on the control, it's... Goodbye! Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying Play Podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07 That's 07 The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. Hello, this is Hass, and I'm here to introduce a selection of recordings from the Enfield Talking Newspaper archive. A few cassette recordings from the first 50 years of the Talking Newspaper have survived, and once a month you'll hear the local news from the Enfield area as it was from 1974 through to 2011. This episode from the archive is from the 18th of September 1986. In that year, Halley's Comet returned after 76 years. The M25 is completed after 14 years and the Enfield Talking newspaper reports on an 80-year-old skydiver. And remember, this was originally recorded on cassette, so ignore any instruction to turn the tape over. Welcome to the 600th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline 18th of September 1986. Your readers in this edition are... Paul. 
Janet. Harvey. Betty. In this edition, we have Harvey with some nostalgic memories, some notes on what's on, and, of course, all the news we can get onto the tape. And may we remind you that from October the 2nd, we'll be going weekly. Now, over to Harvey. Yes, this week we celebrate the 600th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper. We were one of the first such organisations to appear in this country a quarter of a century ago. The Enfield Gazette of Friday, May the 19th, 1961, records the following on its front page. About 15 elderly and blind people sat in a room at the British Legion Club, Cecil Road, last Friday and heard the news, not from the voice of a BBC announcer, but from a local voice giving a summary of the local news from the Gazette and Observer. The idea of making a tape recording came from members of Enfield Talk H. They invited the blind folk along to their meeting room. After the first news tape, there were cries of wonderful and marvellous. The article goes on to note that out of the 100 blind people thought to be living in the area, only 10 had come forward requesting such a service. The week-by-week selection would probably be recorded on the Gazette's publication day. The master recording circulated to the blind folk each keeping it for about 24 hours. Only one machine was being used, but it was hoped that more would be obtained. Last week's broadcast had been done by a certain Mr and Mrs Dick Turpin of Ladysmith Road, and one item had concerned his historical namesake, the highwayman. Others present included Councillor Elsie Merrion, Chairman of Enfield Old People's Welfare Association, himself blind, Mr L. E. Francis, the branch secretary, and John Dredge. In the Gazette on that date, the main story was about a lorry that had lost control on the Great Cambridge Road and had gone into a bus shelter while turning into Carter Hatch Lane. One woman had been killed. In the recent local council elections, the Labour Party had lost several important seats to the Conservatives. Other news included the jailing of a father and son for their part in a robbery at a grocer's store, and in sport, a few days after Spurs had clinched the League and Cup double with victory over Leicester City at Wembley, Enfield won the London Senior Cup against Wheelstone at Highbury. The San West Dramatic Society performed Over the Garden Fence, admirably putting over the mood of Elizabeth Adiman's domestic tragicomedy, as the paper's theatre critic put it. And you could buy a Ford convertible for £936 and a gas fridge for under £30. If we turn to the local paper of a few months later to find out what was going on exactly 25 years ago this week, we learn about a fine of £100 imposed on a cafe for failing to comply with health regulations. An inspector had reported that the town eatery was crawling with worms. Elsewhere, a car had been damaged by a homemade bomb and there was a usual spate of accidents and burglaries. We hear that Enfield's Bigger and Better two-day show will open in Town Park with 14 marquees, displays of works of art and stands run by voluntary societies. Meanwhile, representatives of Enfield Garage bus crews called for a conference to support busmen in a request for a public inquiry into the workings of London Transport. There were plenty of jobs for school leavers. The rate of unemployment in the area was 0.9%, compared with a national average of 1.4%. The advertisements included Vauxhall's proud announcement of their new victor, while in football there was excited anticipation of Spurs' European Cup match against the Russian side Gornik. There had even been talk in the media that the game would be staged at Wembley to accommodate all those who wanted to see it. 
Well, decide for yourselves how much things have changed over this period. Perhaps you have your own recollections of life in Enfield in 1961. We would be more than happy to receive your anecdotes and memories, and we promise to broadcast them on the air. But we must now move forward to 1986, and here's Betty with today's first item of news. The death has occurred in Canada of two Enfield people, Stan Taylor and his wife Norma, both 64 years of age. They were killed along with their two young grandchildren, whom they were taking for an outing when a train hit their car at a level crossing. The accident happened at their adopted hometown of Alamonte, Ontario, at the end of last month. They are survived by their daughter, Jill, and Mr. Taylor's sister, Gwen Lorimore, who lives in Enfield with her husband. A lifetime of service to the community was remembered at St. Oldheim's Church, Edmonton, during a service of thanksgiving for Mildred Mary Bryant, who who recently died aged 77. A member of the well-known Cowley family of Enfield and sister of Winifred Cowley of Lavender Hill, Mildred was known to countless girls, their mothers and even grandmothers who had been brownies, guides or rangers under her. She had been skipper of SRR Isis and <coughs> District and Division Commissioner for Enfield Guides. The guiding accolade of the Oakleaf was presented to Mildred in 1961. A founding member of Bishop Stopford, she took a special interest and pride in the success of the school. After retiring from the National Westminster Bank, where she had been the very first woman chief cashier, Mrs Bryant took up posts as secretary at Hazelbury School and then Aylward School. For over 50 years she gave unlimited service to St Aldheim's Church, where she regularly worshipped. She was a member of the deanery and the diocesan synods. Friends and relatives of a hard-working supporter of the scouting movement have been mourning her death. Grandmother, Linda Baird, aged 75, of Friars Walk, Southgate, died following a car accident in Wales. She and her husband, Bill, were heading for their holiday destination at the time of the crash. Mrs Baird had strong links with scouting in the Cockfosters area, working with the 11th Southgate group for more than 30 years. When her sons Matthew and Jonathan joined the Cubs in the second Cockfosters group, Mrs Baird set out to make successes of group events such as markets and jumble sales and was always there to offer comfort to those who needed it. During her long association with the 11th Southgate group, her daughter Anne became an Arcala and an assistant district commissioner and her sons gained Queen's Scout awards. Mrs Baird collected contributions for Help the Aged and Dr Bernardo's and amassed huge collections of stamps for Scout funds. At least 10,000 votes were lost in May's borough elections because residents did not bother to register their vote. Now, council officers have issued a warning to voters to get their names on the electoral register or miss out on their democratic right. Electoral Registration Officer Keith Ridgewell said that of the 203,000 Enfield people entitled to record a vote in borough, national and European elections, more than 10,000 did not bother to get their names on the register. Each year, thousands of potential voters find their path to the ballot box blocked because they have not bothered to fill out the necessary forms. Each household in the borough of Enfield receives a form explaining the need to get on the register, but these forms are often ignored or forgotten and at election time, disappointed people are turned away from the polls and denied a vote. We publicise the register well enough, and the majority of people who don't apply to be on it do so because they're not bothered. 
But when the parliamentary elections come round and they can't vote, it always seems to be our fault. That is the only election they are bothered about. Residents are required by law to fill in the electoral forms annually posted through their doors and can be prosecuted for failing to do so. When people do find out they cannot vote, they often lay the blame with the registration officers based in Gentleman's Row in Enfield. We are the ones they take it out on if they're not on the register, said Mr Ridgewell. They say it is, it is our fault and they never saw a form or that they definitely sent it back to us. Mr Ridgewell does not believe that part of the problem lies with ethnic minority groups who may not fully understand the forms. The onus must be on the voter as well as on the staff of the local authority. We don't want to leave anybody out. The electoral register is compiled each October and everybody aged 18 and over is eligible to vote. People whose 18th birthday falls in the following year should also be registered. The current electoral register is available for viewing at borough libraries. Fundraisers amassed more than £950 for a charity animal clinic from a successful garden fete last week. Enfield and Lee Valley RSPCA joined forces with the staff of Clay Hill House, Clay Hill Enfield, to attract a stream of visitors and raise much-needed funds for the RSPCA clinic in Primrose Avenue, Enfield. The house grounds include a small bird sanctuary. House matron Anne Clegg and her staff worked hard to ensure the success of the event. A regular visitor to Southgate Swimming Pool has boycotted the place after pool managers complained that he was too dirty to use it. Landscape gardener David Hayes of the High Street, Chesant, had almost finished his afternoon swim when he was asked to go to the manager's office. The manager of the pool in Winchmore Hill Road said two women had complained about Mr Hayes' grubby feet and he asked, asked him to take a shower before visiting the pool again. Mr Hayes returned for his swim a week later, but he did not reach the water. Before he had a chance to put his big toe in the pool, an attendant stopped him and asked him to take a shower. A disgusted Mr Hayes maintained that he took a shower in the changing rooms on both occasions and had no need to take another. He said it was horribly unpleasant. On the first occasion, the manager was very civil. He more or less told me that he thought the women who complained were being elitist and he hoped I would continue to use the pool. I came back a week later and I was standing by the edge of the pool when another assistant manager made a beeline for me. He asked me if I was a landscape gardener. I said I was and he said, would you mind taking a shower? I told him I had already had one. He said, well, would you take another one? Enfield's recreation manager, Ian Murray, said, in the opinion of the staff, Mr Hayes required a shower on both occasions. He said Mr Hayes was welcome at the pool at any time. A lot has changed since Jack Fairley became the landlord of the old Sergeant pub in 1936. Then, a pint of beer cost just fourpence. The pub was much smaller and Parsonage Lane was little more than a country road. But one thing that hasn't changed over the years is Jack, and last week he celebrated his 50th anniversary at the pub. Surrounded by bottles of champagne and greetings cards, the 74-year-old and his wife Doreen lived it up with some of their regulars. The parting pub-goers saw the couple presented with a crystal table lamp by Sam Whitbread, chairman of the brewery, who praised them for their dedicated work. The Mayor of Enfield, Councillor Wynne Reardon, dropped in to congratulate them, and the happy celebrations were recorded for television and radio. It 
wasn't a surprise when Jack became a landlord. He was born in a pub in Chessent and moved to the Hot Poles pub in Baker Street, Enfield, with his family when he was nine. He took over the old sergeant when he was 24 and has only left it since to serve in North Africa and Italy during the Second World War. Jack's aim has always been to preserve the pub's traditional family atmosphere here and he has furiously resisted the brewery's aims to modernise it. As a result, he has built up a large band of regulars who enjoy the pub's old-time image and Jack hasn't had any thoughts of moving on. Even now, after celebrating his 50th anniversary, he has no wish to retire. I've had a very happy time. I've got a smashing lot of regulars and I've loved it here, he said. Among the charities he works for are the Licensed Victuallers National Homes and Licensed Victuallers Lighted Fuel Association. He's a selfless man. He spent his life working for charities and gives his time freely for any good causes, said Arthur Johnson, Secretary of the Northern Suburban Licensed Victuallers Association. Also keen to praise him were his regulars, including Fred Webb, who has frequented the pub since Jack took over. There's not a better publican in Enfield. He's a generous man concerned very much with the welfare of the local community. You can sum it up in four words. He's a great guy. An Enfield charity came to the rescue for 22-year-old Roy Johnson when they bought him a brand-new electric wheelchair which enabled him to go on holiday. The charity, who call themselves a little bit of everything, have been raising money for worthy local courses for the past ten years. Roy, 22, suffers from muscular dystrophy, the gradual wasting of muscles in the body, and without the use of an electric wheelchair would be totally helpless. His mother, Mrs Sylvia Johnson, who lives at Worlds End Lane, Enfield, said, We badly needed to repair Roy's chair, but we were told the cost and realised it would be much wiser to buy a new chair. The charity got to hear that Roy needed a new chair and very kindly offered to buy one. They raised the £1,500 necessary, and we got the wheelchair on the very day that Roy was due to go to a hospital, ho- hospital holiday care centre in Portsmouth. The charity raised the money through various events, including a sale and several stalls at local shows. Licensee Spencer Lever of the Salisbury Arms, Hoppers Road, Winchmore Hill, is the London and Northern Home Counties Innkeeper of the Year. It is Mr Lever's second successive win in the competition and he will now take part in the national final in which he finished a close second last year. His prizes for winning the regional award include an eye-catching exterior wall plaque. The national final in November takes the form of the popular television quiz Mastermind with the first round of questions on local trade, the second on the licensed trade in general. The winner will receive a gold-plated plaque and £250 in travel vouchers. Union legal experts are preparing themselves for another struggle to prove the innocence of a sacked matron of an old people's home. An appeal hearing into the case of Catherine Mullen, dismissed from the Elizabeth House home in Old Road Enfield, is set to begin later this month. And her union, the General Municipal Boilermaker and Allied Trade Union, has again pledged to get her reinstated as soon as possible. Union Regional Organiser Paul Kenny defended Mrs Mullen throughout a Marathon Council inquiry at the start of the year. He has now handed over responsibility for her defence to solicitors. He said allegations of cruelty to residents had now been dropped and Mrs Mullen was fighting on two main fronts, 
that she treated staff badly and that her superiors found her difficult to work with. It is basically a conflict of styles over resident care, said Mr Kenny. The old approach to care of Mrs Mullen differs from the new concept of home life for the elderly promoted by the council. He believes the inquiry and investigations of the past year have cost ratepayers of Enfield anything up to £10,000. The hearing he took part in stretched from January to June, taking up more than 40 days of council and union time. He still firmly insists that there has been a gross miscarriage of justice in the dismissal of Mrs Mullen of Green Dragon Lane, Widgemore Hill. He hopes that a new set of councillors on the appeal panel will come to the case with a fresh eye. If Mrs Mullen's dismissal is upheld, the case will go to an industrial tribunal. Enfield's four-legged inhabitants could soon have their own council representation. A working party on animal abuse has been recommended to be set up in the borough by Councillors' Coordination and Policy Committee. It follows an approach from Haringey Council to all London boroughs to meet and discuss initiatives taken by them on animal rights. Recommending a working party, Councillor Richard Corse said, We need to offer some respect to animals. He cited the case of Jambo, the gorilla who comforted an injured five-year-old boy who had fallen into his cage, and compared it to the number of murders of humans by humans reported that same day. The question of cruelty to animals is perhaps not the most important issue, but it has the interests of 70 to 80% of the borough council, of course, continued. The committee's recommendation was to be considered by Tuesday's full council meeting. A shocked 74-year-old woman was taken to hospital when a double-decker bus ploughed into her sitting room last Monday morning. Five other people, including the driver and conductor, were also taken to hospital. The bus hit a Vauxhall van and a Ford Granada before crashing into the semi-detached house in Byron Terrace, Hartford Road, Edmonton, at 10am. Excuse me. Edith Wright was doing her washing at the back of the house when a number 149 bus swerved off the road through her front garden and smashed into her sitting room and front bedroom. The owner of the house, Mrs Wright's son, Kevin, was called home from work to find his home almost demolished. Visibly shaken, he said, Look at my house, it's a complete mess. I can't go back and live in there. Mr Wright is a fitter at the Royal Ordnance Factory in Enfield Lock. Mrs Wright said, I was doing my watching. I just turned the spin dryer off when I heard this almighty explosion. It was dreadful. I went into the dining room and all I could see was dust. When it cleared, there was a bus in the window. The driver of the bus, William Kingsland of Greenland Avenue in Enfield, is thought to have been taken ill at the wheel. He and his conductor, Frank Riddle of Harrow Drive, Lower Edmonton, were detained in the North Middlesex Hospital with head injuries and cuts to their arms and legs. Two others, bus passengers Claire Houghton from Liverpool and passerby Linda Tyrrell from Dartford Avenue, Lower Edmonton, were treated for shock. The driver of the van the bus hit, Bernard Pallant of Stevenage, was also treated for shock. Plans to build a three-storey home for the elderly have been thrown out by Enfield councillors. Factors against the hostel intended to be built in Lincoln Way, Enfield, included corridors too long, staircases badly sighted and poor outlook from rooms. Each of, Each of these aspects would make the home unsuitable for elderly residents, the planning officer's report stated. 
not enough car parking spaces, too narrow an access road, and no separate footpath were other, reason, other reasons for the hostel's rejection. Most like-minded people would never dream of jumping out of an aeroplane 7,500 feet off the ground, but 80-year-old Sylvia Brett thoroughly enjoyed her first parachute descent. It was really thrilling, and I'm hoping to have another go soon, said the fearless Mrs Brett from her home in Burncroft Avenue, Enfield. Actually, it was even more dramatic than I'd expected, because the first time we went up, one of the engines conked out, and the plane had to make an emergency landing, she added. But Mrs Brett was quite unperturbed by this minor technical difficulty. They sent an ambulance onto the airfield, and I think they imagined I'd be in a terrible state of shock, but I just wanted to get on with the jumping, she said. Another plane went up and Mrs Brett finally made her daring leap on August Bank Holiday in Bedfordshire to go down in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's oldest woman parachutist. Describing her descent, she said, When you jump off the platform, you fall for about six seconds and then the parachute opens. Below I saw all these coloured pimples and then they opened out into cornfields, grass and farmland. She added, You get a wonderful feeling of peace up there and it's done my (coughs) arthritis a power of good. Mrs. Brett made the jump with her niece and her niece's son, so three Brett generations plunged through the sky on the same day. I can't wait for the next time. I'm going to try for a longer descent, she confessed. A callous caretaker failed to put the dampers on a successful sponsor's swim by Gazette and press staff last week. He rudely ordered an Enfield blind man and his guide dog to leave the poolside. That one sour note was drowned out by the enthusiasm of staff and generous sponsors who achieved their ambitious aim by raising more than £1,000 to buy a guide dog for the blind. The caretaker now faces a severe reprimand. The gratitude of one patient has seen Chase Farm Hospital receive five cool air fans. Gabe Marks, Vice President of the Southgate and Palmer's Green Association of Jewish ex-servicemen and women, presented staff at the hospital's intensive care unit with the fans. It was Mr Mark's way of saying thank you for the care and attention he'd received at Chase Farm earlier this year when he spent three months there, two of them in intensive care, being treated for cancer. Money for the fans was raised at the Ajax annual garden fete in Broomfield Park where Mr Marks, his family and some Chase Farm nurses sold strawberries, which they picked from a local farm, and cream. With his health now restored, Mr Marks is back busily involved with the many community organisations he belongs to. As well as Ajax, they include the Enfield Community Relations Council and the Enfield Consultative Advisory Group. The leader of Britain's Roman Catholics attended a farewell ceremony for a well-loved Edmonton priest last week. The Archbishop of Westminster, Cardinal Basil Hume, celebrated Mass at St Edmund's Church in Croyland Road, Lower Edmonton, where Father Norman Kersey was retiring after 14 years. Also at the service were the area bishop, Bishop Philip Harvey, the mayor of Enfield, Councillor Wynne Reardon, and nearly 500 local churchgoers and clergymen. Afterwards, church members held a reception for the priest in the church hall, where he was thanked individually by some of the many people he's worked with over the years. Reverend Father Kersey has spent more than 40 years in the church. After training as a priest, he was at Westminster Cathedral for two years, then worked in Watford and Ware before coming to Edmonton. He will be leaving the borough at the end of next month for a four-month holiday in New Zealand. 
then will become an acting chaplain in Stoke Newington. He said he was very sad to leave Edmonton because it had been a wonderful parish, but he said he would not return to visit the church until the new priest, the Reverend Brown Ward, had had time to settle in. A warm welcome was waiting for two new Methodist ministers at their first service in the borough. The Reverend Paul Hume and the Reverend Peter Featherstone found hundreds of churchgoers waiting to greet them at Trinity Church in Church Street, Enfield. The welcoming service was led by the Reverend Brian Galliers, Chairman of the London North East District of the Methodist Church and attended by many local ministers. Also, also there were the Mayor of Enfield, Councillor Wynne Reardon, and her consort, husband Harry. After the service, there was an informal social gathering. Mr Hulme had come to the borough from Taunton and his wife Hilary, sorry, with his wife Hilary and three young boys. He is now the minister in charge of Trinity Church and superintendent of the Enfield Methodist Circuit. Mr Featherstone, previously from Walthamstow, will have oversight of the Methodist churches in Edmonton, Bushell Park and Ponds End. His wife Susan, who is also a Methodist minister, is working in the Whitechapel Mission in East London. They have two daughters. Michael Portillo, MP for Enfield Southgate, nearly got a lot more than a nice suntan during his recent holidays in the south of France. He was relaxing in a place called Oribo, not far from Cannes, when the terrible forest fire struck. The worst in many years, these fires caused widespread destruction over a huge area, killing four people and destroying some 500 homes. Mr Portillo, his wife and friends quickly evacuated the house in which they were staying and made for Nice where they learnt that everything around Oribo, except their holiday house for some inexplicable reason, had been consumed by flames. However, the Tory MP did not seem to have suffered too much for his experiences and even engaged in some light firefighting duties between his afternoon siestas and evening cocktails. He is now back in the relative safety of good old Blighty. The Royal Ordnance Small Arms Division is to share in a £130 million order for the production of an anti-tank weapon. The contract is expected to bring 20 new jobs to Enfield. The Law 80 is a lightweight shoulder-launched weapon and will replace Swedish and American systems now being used by the British Army. Speaking from the small arms factory in Ordnance Road, Enfield Lock, Director David Morris said, This is an important order for the factory and will strengthen Enfield's order book. It will lead to a a need for further recruitment of about 20 workers. The new manager of Barclays Bank branch in Enfield Town is 43-year-old John (coughs) O'Connell. He succeeds Leslie Pym, who has retired after 44 years' service with Barclays. Born and educated in Coventry, Mr O'Donnell joined Barclays there in 1959 and was assistant manager at various branches between 1974 and 1978. He became manager at Finchley Central Branch in 1983. Mr O'Connell, who is married with one son, lives in Redbourne, Hertfordshire. He is chairman of the bank's Northern London District Social Club and chairman-elect of the London Northern Branch Managers Club. He is a member of the Finchley Rotary Club and St Albans Squash Club. Two Edmonton doctors concerned at the conditions of their old surgery decided to build a new one and last week they began taking calls at their new home. Dr Alfred Hollings and Dr Omi Sharma 
have made the short journey in Bouncers Road from their old surgery to the new premises at 27 and 29. The move was carried out at their own expense and they worked closely with the local family practitioner committee who advised on planning. They believe their new surgery will provide a more comfortable setting for patients and allow them to improve their general medical services. A campaign to have a zebra crossing move to a safer position was launched this week with the handing over of a 1,000 strong petition. Local residents and visitors to the Moorfield Health Centre are anxious to see a crossing placed so that people wanting to cross between the health centre and the nearby co-op chemist shop can do so safely. A lot of elderly people visit the health centre, stressed Enfield and Storbans Cooperative Society spokesman Peter Court. At the moment they have to cross over three roads to get to the chemists. Now the petition is in the hands of Labour councillors who officially received it last Thursday. Enfield Wash councillor Joe Nalty, who was at the presentation, commented that the situation could have been avoided if the council had set up traffic lights at the junction of Carter Hatch Lane and the Hartford Road instead of a mini roundabout. Labour Public Services spokeswoman councillor Michelle Bull accepted the petition, which will be discussed by officers and committee members in the coming weeks. Gregory Rattage and Tony Hodges are two of the 12 Hertfordshire firemen who last week made a sponsored walk in breathing apparatus to raise money in aid of a Hatfield fireman's eight-year-old daughter who suffers from cerebral palsy. The Jolly Farmers pub on Slades Hill Enfield was the last port of call on the Friday leg of the journey from Welling Garden City to Covent Garden. In all, they called at eight McMullen hostelries. During the walk, the brewery presented the men with a cheque for £250 to add to the appeal which they hoped would raise £20,000 for treatment for young Tracy Loff, who has suffered from the crippling disease since birth. Tracy can neither walk nor stand. Now we've come to the end of side one. If you'd like to turn your tape over, we'll meet you on the other side. Welcome back. Here's some news of what's on. First of all, we have some musical items. Risley Operatic Group are performing Bizet's Passionflower, the story of Carmen, at the Intimate Theatre Palmer's Green from 14th to 18th of October. The time, 7.30 every evening, and the tickets are £3, £3.20 and £3.50, with a reduction of £1 for old-age pensioners and children, except for Friday and Saturday evenings, which are full price for all. Booking through the Intimate Theatre box office, telephone 01... 886-5451 or 5452. For jazz enthusiasts, there's currently a series of weekend concerts in the foyer at the Barbican. The last concerts are on Sunday the 28th of September. From 12 to 2.30 p.m. you can hear Coup d'etat, the Latin jazz and pop band, featuring vocalist Mandy Bell. Then, from 3pm till 5pm, the High Society Syncopators, a young five-piece ensemble, will be playing the popular hits of the 20s and 30s, including songs by Fats Waller, Hoagie Carmichael and Jelly Roll Morton. Admission is free and you don't need to book. And now for a theatrical item. The Phoenix Theatre are presenting as their entry in the Enfield full-length play festival, Stevie, based on the life of Stevie Smith, poet who lived in Palmer's Green. The dates 24th to 27th of September and the place Millfield House Arts Centre, Silver Street, Edmonton.
tickets for this are £2.50 each, £1.50 concessions, plus 25 pence audience club membership. Tickets are available from any Enfield library or phone 886-0855 evenings and weekends. On Saturday the 27th of December there's a footpath walk described as a circular walk starting from the Odeon Cinema Barnet. Start footwear and protection against the weather are recommended. This monthly walk is free, but it's hoped that non-members will want to join the Enfield Preservation Society. Among classes and clubs holding meetings in the next week, there are a 20-week WEA course on the later romantic music by Ivan Hewitt at Enfield Baptist Church, Cecil Road, starting on the 24th. Fee is £36, or two instalments of £18. OAP's £24. If you're interested, contact Henry Canton, <coughs> telephone 360-5306. Among the clubs, there's Howard Hall Senior Citizens Club, which meets on Mondays from 1.30 to 3.30pm at Howard Hall High Street, Ponders End. For information on this, contact Mr Richards, telephone 807-7059. Also, there's the Neighbourhood Centre at Holy Trinity Hall, Queen's Avenue, Green Lanes, Winchmore Hill. For this, contact 882-4549. And another neighbourhood scheme at St Peter's Church, Grange Park, Vera <coughs> Avenue, which meets on Tuesdays from 9.30 to 11.30. For more about this neighbourhood project, contact 882-4549. Enfield Jazz Club meets on Fridays from 8.30 to 11.30pm at Howard Hall, po High Street, Ponders End. This is £1.50, including membership. If interested in this, contact 366-2244, extension 230. Now, after what's on, we'll go over to Harvey, who will continue with the news items. The voices and prayers of All Saints Church parishioners will be carried across the world this week. The BBC World Service crew were at the Edmonton Church on Sunday to record a special celebration service, which saw perhaps the largest gathering of dignitaries the borough has ever seen. There was a continuous flow of official cars as the nine High Commissioners, the borough's three MPs, Lord Graham of Edmonton, high-ranking clergymen, the Lord Lieutenant of London, the Mayor of Enfield and the Chief Scout arrived at Church Street, Lower Edmonton. Packed inside the church were parishioners from the surrounding Edmonton churches and 250 scouts and guides, smartly dressed in their uniforms, standing beneath their banners. They were later inspected by the Chief Scout, Commissioner Robin State. Organiser Anthony Roy opened the service as the recording began, welcoming listeners from the five continents a potential audience of more than 100 million. That was followed by an address from the Most Reverend Lord Archbishop of the Central Province of Africa, Kotso Makulu, who flew in specially for this service, marking the Church's 850th anniversary. Although fluent in English, he gave the blessing in Swahili. The lessons and prayers in the service were punctuated with song and music conducted by All Saints Vicar, the Reverend Barry Oakes from the 40-strong Tottenham Calvary Church of God in Christ Choir, backed by Edmonton's Latimer School Orchestra. A lesson was read by Jamaican-born Dora Mitchell, now an Edmonton parishioner. After the service, which will go out on shortwave five times this Sunday, church members and helpers provided refreshments for the congregation. 
It was hoped that a member of the royal family would have been able to attend, but unfortunately their packed schedules prevented this. Instead, the Lord Lieutenant of London, Colonel George Darcy of Bush Hill Park, attended to represent them. Such was the huge crowd for the service that Latimer Junior School across the road was taken over to provide refreshments. A collection of £187 taken at the service is to be sent to the people of Botswana. Although we need money for the restoration of the church spire, they are much more deserving than we, commented Mr Roy. Mr Roy said he now hopes to hear from All Saints churches from around the world after an appeal on the world service for them to get in touch. It is hoped they can swap experiences and tales. Brown Barnet Grammar School head, John Pearman, was granted unconditional bail by Barnet magistrates on Monday when he appeared to face a charge of assaulting a 13-year-old pupil. Pearman of Hamlet Court, Village Road, Enfield, will appear, appear in court again on Monday, September the 29th. And Kingsmead Parents' Association has now been replaced by the Friends of Kingsmead School Association. All ex-pupils and staff are welcome to attend the first annual meeting on Tuesday, September the 30th at 8pm at the school in Southbury Road, Enfield. Firemen rescued a householder stranded behind a jammed bathroom door. The lock of the bathroom door at Isis House, Upper Edmonton, had stuck in the locked position. An Enfield teenager who admitted taking part in burglaries involving the theft of property worth over £15,000 was sentenced to two years' youth custody at Woodgreen Crown Court. Rody Moxham, aged 18 and employed of Gilbert Street, pleaded guilty to three burglaries and asked for a further 11 offences to be taken into consideration. He had previous convictions. Prosecuting barrister Mr Walter Bilby said that Moxham was disturbed while burglaring burgling an address in Albany Park Avenue, Enfield, on May the 8th. He was chased by a member of the public and, when arrested by police, admitted many burglaries committed in the locality between March and May this year. He was taken around the area by police and pointed out the address he had in- entered. His method of operation was to make sure the house was empty, break in and steal whatever valuables he could find. John Patrick O'Sullivan of Percival Road, Bushell Park, has been jailed for six months after being found guilty on three charges of financial deception in a trial at Kingston Crown Court. He pleaded not guilty. If you've lost some records, a racing cycle or a set of golf clubs, they could be waiting for you at Enfield Police Station. These are just some of the items contained in the property section. A selection of pendants and rings has also been found in Jones Park. Anyone who believes any, any of these items may belong to them or has lost anything recently, should ask for the property officer at Enfield Police on 01 367 A man cycled into Enfield recently as part of a drive to raise money for Dr Bernardo's homes. Paul Baker stopped at the Nuffield Hospital and Cavill Drive, Uplands Park Road, as part of a tour of the country's 32 Nuffield hospitals. He was met by Sister Bridie Harrison and other members of staff and presented with a cheque for £100 collected by the staff as sponsorship for one leg of his 1,500-mile journey. Matron Peggy Jones said, Everyone here is delighted to be able to help Paul's tremendous effort. I would like to thank my staff for their support and wish him the very best of luck. Paul set off on his epic bike ride from Glasgow on August the 30th 
and finished at the Cleveland Nuffield Hospital where he works on Monday. He is hoping to raise around £1,500. A drizzling Sunday morning wasn't the best of times to invite people out for a fun run. But despite the severe autumnal conditions, over 100 brave athletes ventured out to raise funds for Enfield's mentally handicapped children. Although the numbers were only about half last year's, the organisers, Tanglewood Theatre Company, were pleased to find over £400 had been pledged from the runners' sponsorships. Neil Saunders collected a trophy for his first past the finishing post in the eight-mile event with Sheila O'Connor receiving top prize as the first lady to complete the course. In the four-mile section, John Golding took first place. The jog along the footpaths and bridleways through Forty Hall, Whitewebs Park to Hilly Fields was marshalled by Tanglewood and representatives from the chosen charity, Enfield Society for Mentally Handicapped Children. The Cheltenham and Gloucester Building Society sponsored the run and 500 Latimer School students raised more than £2,000 by pushing carrots through a 400-metre obstacle course with their noses. The students from Latimer School, Hazelbury Road, Lower Edmonton, organised the sponsored carrot crawl to furnish a flat for a young handicapped man in Enfield. Sixth former Alex Gage, who organised the event in July, thought the carrot crawl might catch sponsors' imaginations more than the usual walk or run. He was right. It was great fun, he said. We had to crawl under tarpaulins, dive for carrots in buckets and throw them over high jumps. The school set a target of £1,500 for the event and raised an unexpected £2,350. Alex, who is 17 of London Road, Enfield, organised the carrot crawl with help from Andrew Bone of Lord Community Friends who work for the disabled in Enfield. Well, we now move on to sport and begin with hockey. Four members of Southgate Hockey Club, the national champions, have been named in the England squad for the 6th FIH World Hockey Cup, being held at Wilsdon on October the 4th to the 19th. They are Richard Dodds, Steve Batchelor, Sean Curley and John Shaw. The squad will be taking part in warm-up games against Germany in Hamburg and against Spain in Barcelona on September the 20th and 31st. England's opening match in the World Cup itself is against New Zealand in October the 4th at noon. Spurs skipper Ray Clements played for two of the greatest managers in football history, Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley, in his Liverpool golden years. And when he says that he's impressed by his new manager David Cleet's early efforts at White Hart Lane, that must be recognised as a big compliment from one of football's deepest thinkers. Ray says all the players are enjoying working with David Cleet and Trevor Hartley. They have some very bright ideas and express them well. I know it's early days and I've been in the game long enough to know not to make rash predictions, but we've had a promising start, and at the moment we are concerned with building a firm foundation which will be essential if we are to be successful come next May. As for his new role as captain, Clements has not experienced any problems now and is enjoying the new responsibility. Netball. 
It was a sorry start to the season for Oakwood's A-team on Saturday when a depleted side lost 33-21 to Nexus in their Polytechnic League match. Nexus showed superior ball skills which Oakwood were unable to match. The B-team fared better in the Greater London League, leading from the start and eventually beating Wokingham 38-19 with a goal attack Joanne Fox particularly was particularly impressive. Oakwood C were involved in a close Greater London, London League tussle with Harrow, who led for most of the game, but were pegged back to 37-37 at the final whistle. Jean Ralph netting a penalty shot with the last throw of the game. Oakwood D beat Minchenden 41-26. Winchmore Hill Women's Hockey Club stays their annual trials at Pickett's Lock this Saturday and on Saturday week, September 27th, starting at 1.15. Training is also well underway and continues at Ford's Grove next Tuesday and Thursday, starting at 6.30pm. New, new members are welcome. Our rugby. A late-dropped goal from fly-half Nick Holmes gave Saracens an important John Smith's Merit Table B victory over London Welsh, a team they have now beaten four times in five meetings. Torrential rain tried its hardest to mar what is usually a highly entertaining fixture on the Bramley Road calendar. But, despite a slippery ball and treacherous footing, both sides contributed to a quality game that was, if anything, a little lacking in adventure. The first quarter saw Saracens well in charge, with the Welsh rarely being able to venture out of their own half of the field. Still, points were not going to be given away lightly and two desperate attempts on the Welsh line were thwarted when penalties were needlessly conceded. Saracens looked the smarter outfit in every department, so it came as a bitter blow when they conceded the first points of the game as half-time loomed. A series of blunders in defence led to Steve Pill picking up on the left wing and outpacing the Saracens cover to score in the corner. The interval scoreline of 4-0 to the visitors seemed hard to believe. Worse was to come when the Welsh captain, Colin Price, converted a penalty goal shortly after the break, and things looked really gloomy when Mickey Grier left the field, causing confusion among the Saracens' forwards. The back row, however, finally found they had more room in which to manoeuvre, and, after missing four previous attempts, Lawrence Smith scored from a penalty to reduce the deficit. The score seemed to give Saracens renewed heart and a penetrating run by fullback Steve Hancock, followed by a well-timed pass to Smith, allowed the burly winger to crash over the line and level the scores. Smith failed to make the conversion and the match appeared to be heading for a draw until Holmes sealed victory with his late drop goal. Saracens' second string, the Crusaders, completed a happy weekend for the club by defeating Welling 39-0. It will be more than a year before the Swan Annex in Ponder's End starts up as a centre for young offenders. While conversion works are carried out, the social services-run Intermediate Treatment Programme will be transferred to a building in North Mall, Edmonton. Home for the past three years, Weir Hall has to be vacated by the middle of November to allow North Circular Roadworks to begin. Deputy Director of Social Service, Jeff Prosser, said this week that the more practical pursuits like motorcycle workshops and woodwork would not happen at the temporary centre. We have to accept that things will have to wind down a bit, he said. Planning permission to use the office at 32 North Mall for 15 months as the IT centre 
is being sought in the next few weeks. Charges are expected to be laid this week against those arrested in the huge drugs raid on an Edmonton pub. Police forensic experts have confirmed that packaged substances seized during the raid on the horse and groom two months ago were cannabis and cocaine. 26 people were arrested when police swooped on the 4th Street pub. Codenamed Operation Bridal, the raid was the culmination of several weeks' undercover work by plainclothes detectives. Of those arrested, it is expected that 15 will face charges of supplying and possession. They were all remanded on police bail while the drugs were sent to laboratories for analysis. Superintendent Buchan said it has been confirmed that it is all either cannabis or cocaine. The details are now with the Crown Prosecution Service, who will decide on the charges. It is a slow process, but I expect to reply in the next few days. And the Bristol riots have led to an attack on drug dealers from Enfield North MP Tim Egger. He said the dealers were an evil group living off the misfortune of others. And he told party workers, We are fortunate that in Enfield we do not have a concentration of drug dealers on a similar level to that in Brixton or Bristol. However, we should not be complacent. I hear regularly from parents, teachers and members of the public about increasing drug misuse in the Enfield area. Shopping trolley and wheelchair bandits will be taking over the streets, relieving shoppers of cash and food on Saturday. But it's all in a good cause. Enfield, Cheshunt and Waltham Cross Rotaract Clubs are combining forces to organise the sponsored trolley push and hope people will, from the work centre will join in. The trolley and wheelchair bandits are collecting money in aid of the Friends of Enfield Work Centre for handicapped adults and for Chase Farm Hospital Radio. They are also collecting food for Christmas parcels for the elderly and old books for developing countries. The trolleys and their minders, all of whom will be in fancy dress, will leave the Bugden supermarket in Lancaster Road at 11am and then hare along Chase Side, the town, Silver Street, before finishing up again outside Bugden at 12.30pm. Anyone who'd like to lend a hand, Bugden have already agreed to lend the trolleys, or to sponsor a trolley, wheelchair or pusher, should contact Paul Gear on 3675008. The fight to save Edmonton Town Hall from demolition has won support from overseas, from the Mayor of Edmonton in Canada, Canada in fact. He has sent a good luck message to Labour Councillor Fred Jarvis, one of the leaders of the campaign. In his letter, the Canadian Mayor, Lawrence Decor, writes, From this distance I am unable to know all the ramifications of the proposed action. But generally I feel that if older buildings can be economically used, it is important to try and keep them in the community to provide a sense of continuance and diversity. The town hall in Knights Lane has been threatened with demolition to make way for a new magistrate's court. At last week's full council meeting, officers were asked to investigate the possibility. But the controversial plan has brought opposition from many people, including Labour councillors and Edmonton MP Ian Twin who wants the old building preserved. Last week, week, Councillor Jarvis accused the council of treating the people of Edmonton as second-class citizens. He said, Surely it is not asking too much of the present Tory council to argue that it owes some historic allegiance to the people who were born 
in our now and now reside in this corner of the borough. Proud Edmontonians, and why not? It is true that the building has been allowed to run down and will need some renovation, as will all the Victorian buildings that the council have agreed not to demolish, those standing in the in what was once Highlands Hospital. We mourn the loss of the hospital, hospital but it is rubbing salt into the wounds by suggesting that one group of Victorian buildings can remain in, in Enfield and at the same time embark upon what I interpret as an act of vandalism in Fourth Street, Edmonton. Councillors are still waiting for expert advice over the future of fire-ravaged museum Broomfield House. A team of consultants are currently studying a list of options and their advice will come before the Leisure and Amenities Committee in the near future. It is still a major bone of contention whether to restore the Palmer's Green Building to its former glory or demolish the charred remains and erect a new museum. A third option, to bulldoze the museum and landscape the site, has already met with considerable public disapproval. Councillor Roger Brook, in charge of the committee responsible for Broomfield House, said a report was expected from the consultants soon. The structure of the building is not good. There is a very strong feeling for restoration, which is an extremely expensive option. To restore what is left would be very largely building a replica, which is not to everybody's tastes. Ultimately, any council decision will have to be approved by the Secretary of State because Broomfield House has the status of a listed building. Councillor Brook hopes there will be progress reports sometime before Christmas. Here's a good advert for the Enfield Gazette, which bus driver Stan Ward calls his personal guardian angel. After the paper has stepped into his life three times, he figures someone up here likes him. The Gazette reunited Stan with his long-lost daughter, whom he hadn't seen for 25 years. The paper found him a job after he was made redundant at 56, and last Tuesday he found himself driving the Gazette bus, the 217B, through Enfield. It's too many coincidences for me to cope with, he said. It was enough of a miracle for the paper to reunite me with my daughter after 25 years. Then he found a job through the advertisements after I'd given up hope of a full-time job. And here I am, driving the Gazette bus. It's unbelievable. Mr Ward, aged 60, was reunited with his daughter, Christine Richards, whom he had not seen since she was eight, when she wrote to the Gazette asking the paper to help find her father. The Gazette printed her story, and Hilda Mitchell of Morley Avenue, Edmonton, who went to Latimer School with Stan over 30 years ago, recognised him and got in touch. I would never have seen the story because I live in Harlow now. It was a miracle Hilda remembered me. I hadn't seen her for 30 years. Then in May, after four years of redundancy, Stan found a job with Sampson Buses through the Gazette's Situations Vacant column. You found my daughter, you found me a job. I'm delighted to drive your bus, he told the paper. Enfield's bottle recycling scheme is the biggest in London and 952 tonnes of glass were collected from the 21 sites around the borough in 1985. The scheme is not only safer for dustmen and ecologically approved, it's also a money spinner. Last year, the council reaped a tidy £1,455 from the contractors, Cleanaway of Essex, who pay for every tonne of glass they take to the recycling plant at Harlow. 
Borough engineer John Little said, any recycling initiative obviously relies on the public cooperation and the people of Enfield have responded admirably. The scheme used to be subsidised by the GLC, but the North London Waste Authority, which took over in May, has refused to follow suit. Mr Little said, the scheme has been successful and will continue, even though it's no longer subsidised. A sports club for the disabled has received a £2,000 donation from the Capital Radio Help a London Child Appeal. The money will help pay for two new wheelchairs for the members of the London Hawks Club basketball side based at Pickerslock Centre in Edmonton. Club treasurer Trevor Wingard of Winsford Terrace, Great Cambridge Road, Upper Edmonton, said the money provided an unexpected boost to funds. The club had written to many appeal organisations without success in the past. The club which also fields teams in sports ranging from table tennis to snooker, attracts members from all over the London area and Chesant, Waltham Cross and Waltham Abbey. The demand for wheelchairs in the basketball team is high because of the battering they receive during competitive games. Chairs can cost up to to £1,600 each. For more information on the club's work, contact Trevor on 01-807-2085. Enfield police are still baffled over a huge antiques theft with no clues after two months' investigation. The £125,000 theft of furniture and antiques and the lorry in which they were stored happened near Southbury pub just off the Great Cambridge Road on July the 10th. Since then, Enfield police have heard nothing about the whereabouts of either the vehicle or its contents. The property belonged to a couple who were about to emigrate to Australia. The increase in house prices in Enfield reflects the 17.2% increase in Greater London in the past year. Peter Egan, manager of the Edmonton branch of the Leeds Permanent Building Society, said the national average price increase was 11.1%. Even the smallest house in Enfield now costs around £45,000, nearly double the national average for comparable housing. That's all from this edition of the Talking Newspaper. Remember, we'll be going weekly in October. So now it's good night from Peter at the controls. Good night. Harvey. Betty. Paul. And Janet. Good night. Good night. Good night.